Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Good morning. Good morning. Scripture this morning is out of Genesis 1. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. There was no specific mention of falcons. Just for those looking for a sign. Numbers 13. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. The word of the Lord. So we are on our fifth week in this sermon series called Beginnings. And uh, this series is all about discovering how God might make us new. This series is meant for people who are looking for a fresh start in their life. And so we're looking at each day of creation and drawing out what in this day might give us instruction how to start over again in the gospel of grace. And so on the first day, this is a little, a little uh, snapshot for those people who might not have been here. On day one, it begins with God breaks into the darkness by speaking light. And for us in our life, there's, there's dark parts of our life, dark chapters of our life that we are really desperate for God to break into. And this is what happens on day one. Day two, uh, expanse happens A a time of separation happens. This is to create space and room for God to do something new. On day three is after that sifting happens, we are left with seeds of new beginning. These might be dreams that God's given you, skills or abilities that God wants to spring forth into life in this new chapter of your life. Day four, Ted preached last week and talked about seasons, how in our beginnings we need to acknowledge and expect that there are going to be seasons that this isn't going to be easy at all times. There are seasons of new life that happens. And it leads us to day five, which we just heard. And uh, our th- I love this. This is the most bizarre week that we have. I, and I love weird things. So day five is about monsters. If you were to look back at that fifth day of creation, God has now uh, land and sea and air. And God all of a sudden speaks in abundance to it. So God creates living creatures in the sky and living creatures in the water. 
And what's really interesting, when it describes what God created in water, there's this term. If you could go to, to Genesis 121. So God created the great creatures of the sea. Notice that God, the scripture doesn't say anything else that God created in the water, just living things. But, but here just points out great creatures of the sea. This Hebrew word is tenean. It's, it's a really bizarre term. It's not used that often, only 28 times in scripture. And oftentimes, most, most of the time, this term is used to describe something that has a lot of fear that it invokes in people. So this word is also uh, translated to mean dragon or a venomous snake. This is not something you want around you. This is the word tenean. So even in some translations of, of your scripture, your Bible, will say great monsters of the sea. Which makes me wonder, why in the world would God create monsters? Why might God actually, in, in this day, for it to pull out, why, why this weird, bizarre term? Why not starfish, right? We like starfish. Why monsters? Why did God create monsters and mosquitoes, right? I'm not really sure. I mean, Genesis 1 is a, is a book of poetry. This is a poetic uh, telling of God's creation. But there's something to us. Oftentimes when things don't really make sense in Scripture, we might want to gloss over it when in actuality we might need to lean in a little bit more and wonder. Uh, so what is this deal about monsters? Well, I'm not really sure, but the reality is that monsters are a part of the beginning and monsters are a part of your beginning. Monsters are the things that are lurking underneath the surface that create a lot of anxiety in you, a lot of fear. You're not really sure where they are, but you know they're there. So for an ancient understanding of the sea and ocean, it's really different from, from our view of it. Because when you think about the ocean, you think about every, the visual that we have from cameras going down there and seeing the color and the creation, the beauty of the ocean. But think about it, you know, 2,000 years ago when they had no clue what was down there. The chaos and the unknown, the anxiety of it all. And for, for them, oftentimes, oceans and seas were where storms would rush in and it would be really dangerous. This is why um, in Revelation 21, when, when John is describing how things end, you might not notice in Revelation 21, the way in which heavens describes that there will be no more sea, there will be no more ocean, which is good for people who are pasty like me, you know, and... You know, there will be no more. See, what this is actually talking about is there will be no more chaos. So for us here on day five, we see that monsters are part of the story of God and monsters are part of our story. The things lurking underneath the surface that causes great anxiety. This is a part of your beginnings. So for you and I, for us to actually step into the beginnings that God desires for us, we have to learn to face the monsters. We have to learn to face the things that we know are right there underneath the surface. And if we are unwilling to face them, we will never experience the beginnings that God desires for us. So for you, your monster might be the, the fact that you wake up every single day and you put on guilt like a robe and you walk with it every single day. For some other people, the monster that's lurking underneath the surface is a life of addictions that you can't quite shake. You wish it would go away, but it's just right there. You know it. 
For other people, is this gigantic, vast amount of debt that you don't know how you're going to get out of. And it causes such fear and anxiety. You, you don't really have the ability to dream anymore. These are the monsters underneath the surface. And there are also communal monsters. Right now, it seems like in our day and age, in our culture, that there's a lot of anxiety and fear right beneath the surface. It's right there. It's, you can almost smell it. You almost see it. It's right there. And for us, if we're not willing to actually step towards the monster and charge it, we will never experience the beginnings that God has for us. They're a part of our stories. So today we're going to begin by looking back at the story of Moses and the story of the Hebrew nation. If you remember back on day one, Moses thought his script was over, the story was over, and then God broke into the darkness with light. And God gave this beautiful promise to Moses, who thought that it was over with. He was living in the wilderness. And God said to him in Exodus 3, 7, and 8, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a land that is spacious, a spacious land, a land flowing with Milk and honey, we, like, we, know, we know this passage, this promise. The home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Pe- Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. What's really interesting to me is that it seems as if the Hebrew community seemed to latch on to the front part of this promise, which is, I know of their suffering and I'm going to deliver them into a land that's spacious and flowing with milk and honey. But there's the second half of this promise, right, that maybe they didn't latch on to, maybe we don't remember, which is this land is already occupied. (laughs) I promise you I'm going to give you a land that's already been settled. And maybe we don't know it because we don't like saying all the different clans, their names. But it seemed like they neglected the second half of this promise. So later on when, when they would get there, shouldn't they expect that this land is already being settled? And the people there might not be super excited about this whole Hebrew nation moving in. And as the story goes, God does deliver the Hebrew nation from Pharaoh and begins this beautiful journey to the promised land. But they immediately have a problem. Between God's promise of I'm going to give you this promised land, I'm going to deliver you, and the promised land over here, there's a bit of a problem. And that problem is called the desert, right? And this happens between, oftentimes, between God's promises and like the culmination, the experience of the promise, is that there exists between those two a space that is much like a desert. And deserts are something that no one really wants. We don't really look forward to the desert seasons of our life, but God seems to love them. He loves them. Why? It's because deserts do something inside of you and me. Deserts begin to cultivate and form something that, that God loves. And what is that thing? That thing is trust. So I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you a land that you're going to settle, and it's going to be incredible. But you're going to have to learn to trust me before you get there. And for us, we want to microwave these desert moments in our life of like, yada, 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 I get it. Let's just get there already. But God almost seems to slow things down 
All right, so God, how are we going to actually know where to go between, you know, Egypt and the promised land? Well, I'm going to be with you. You're going to have to learn to look towards me. Okay. What about, like, water? I mean, like, these, a whole nation going through the desert seems like a really bad idea. Well, I'm going to be with you. These are the answers that God gives us in desert moments, that we want kind of something more. How are we going to, how are we going to eat? I will be with you. I'm going to provide every need you have. Will there be CrossFit in the promised land? No. No. There won't be. I'm going to deliver you from it. Uh, you see that, like, it's during these times that God develops in us trust. And it's, it began with, like, plagues. And, it, and there was a crash course of crossing through the sea. And God gave them, like, Direction with fire and cloud and with manna he provided for him and water he provided for him. And all of this is so that they would learn to simply trust in God that his presence will be enough. And so this journey, it led all the way to the very edge of the promised land in this place called Kadesh Barnea. And the Hebrew translation for Kadesh Barnea means, I love this, holy wandering. This holy, sacred wandering, this journey with God, it led to Kadesh Barnea. And it's right on the edge of the promised land. And the, the beautiful thing, even if now, if you look at it, the desert explodes into life right there. There's an ecological term called ecotone uh, that I found in, in, in this, uh, in the book that we're reading through, Beginnings by Steve Weens. He talks about ecotones, and I love it. Ecotones are when one part of land meets another. It's like this borderline. It creates an ecotone. So it's like where, where forest turns into meadow or like the ocean and sea turns into dry beach. And what happens in ecotones is oftentimes life just springs into abundance. Like it's right there where those boundaries meet. And this word ecotone, the word tonus means actually tension. So when life butts up against new life, there is a lot of tension right there. And just for our life, we, we get this, that we're, we're at life, when we get to the edge of something new, there's a lot of tension. This holy wandering brings us to that point, and it creates a crisis for us. Will we actually walk through this threshold? Will we actually, we've gotten to this one point, but will we actually be willing to step into this new place, this new area and region? And it's like God was watching this nation and going, let's see if they got it. Let's see if they, let's see if they know it yet. And so during that time, they get to the border, they get to the threshold, which is a holy place. And this, and many commentators, they believe that it took them a year one year to get from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea. And so God's plan was, I want you to send in spies. I want you to send in 12 spies, one from each tribe, so everyone has a hand in this. And I want you to go and take a look at the promised land. I want you to go, I want you to test me, is one way to say it. I want, I want you to test me, and by the way, this is also kind of a test for you too. So Numbers 13, 17 says this. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, and remember the promise, the land of the Canaanites, right? Like this should not be a surprise. Uh, when he sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev, up into the hill country, 
and see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? I want you to go look at the crops. Is it fertile? And I want you to actually, I want you to, when you come back, I want you to bring some of the produce with you. I think Moses really liked grapes. It was, the, you know, grape season. Bring in the grapes when you come back. And so after this, for 40 days, these spies go into Canaan to take a look at it. And they come back after 40 days, and I just love to imagine the whole community, like after a year of walking through the desert, these 12 spies come back, and they say, all right, everyone, take a knee. Um, it truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. Like it's, it's exactly like God promised it. This whole year of like telling stories of what it might be like, it actually is that. It's actually like the dream that we were hoping for. And then someone from the crowd says, I think there's a but coming. Yes. But they're giants. They're huge. And their cities are fortified. Their walls are tall. There's absolutely no way we can beat them. And just it broke their spirit. But there's two spies, Caleb and Joshua. And they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is a promised land. It is good. And they are huge, but God's actually bigger. Like God, God is actually with us. And all of a sudden, these two different points of views you know, emerged. In Numbers 14, 1, it talks about what the, how the community heard it. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we would have died in Egypt or in this wilderness. You see, they're at the echo tone. They're right there on the bridge and the threshold. And they, this, is what, this is what comes out, verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken in plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Isn't that so interesting? Like, after a year of seeing God provide for them, they get right on the edge of the promised land. And what is their temptation? Let's go back to slavery. Like, this is so bizarre, like, for us to read as, like, an observer, but we also, we know what this is like. When we get on the edge of something and it seems like God is there with us saying, all right, let's walk through this threshold, there's something in us that go, I'd rather play it more safe. I'd rather go back to Egypt, because even there, I know it's not like the life that I've been created for, but I don't have to risk anything. It doesn't require courage or faith, so let's just go back there. It's sometimes easier to not risk. And so, at this, Numbers 14.5, then Moses and Aaron, they fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly that was gathered there, and Joshua and Caleb, those two spies who came back with the with a positive report of what God was going to do. They were among those uh, who explored the land. They tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. Remember in this whole Genesis creation, the importance of good, that God creates that and calls it good. They're looking at it and go, this is good. What God has done here, what God has given us is so good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, 
And do not be afraid of the people of their land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. I love that. Their protection is gone. Something was different about Joshua and Caleb. They saw this so differently. So there's two different voices that they were hearing, this, this community was hearing. One set of spies seemed to be focused on the size of the giants, their walls and their power, and Caleb and Joshua. Where was their focus? Their focus was on God. What God had been, what God had done. And it leads us to a really, really important truth that has followed me in my life. And it's what, what you focus on determines what you miss. This is just kind of like a truth I find in my life. What you focus on determines what you miss. If you're focusing on the size of the giants, you're going to be wrapped in fear. If you're focused on the stories of goodness that God has already written in your life, then you're going to be filled with courage. So for them, they had to choose what were they going to focus on. Because the community already had enough stories. They had stories they could focus on the fact that our God who's with us actually blacked out the sun back in Egypt. Our God who's with us actually parted the Red Seas and it swallowed up Pharaoh's army. Our God with us has provided for our every single need. And that seems to be enough to go with. Or they could focus on the size of the giant. And so the assembly heard these two different opinions. And notice what they did in verse 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. It's interesting when you hear a word of hope, it actually is a bit of a crisis. Because it cracks open our heart and our imagination of what God can do. And it actually disrupts us. It's oddly threatening to be exposed to hope. And sometimes it's so threatening we would rather kill that voice and retire and surrender ourselves than to actually live a life of courage and risk. So what does God do in verse 11? The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite all of the signs that I have performed among them? You see, God was watching them, and as they got to this border, he looked at them and said, I guess it wasn't enough. I guess they haven't learned to trust me. So God did something heartbreaking and something also gracious. God said, they're going to have to stay in the desert because they haven't developed trust yet. And for 40 years, this community would have to wander through the desert and the heartbreaking thing is that everyone there on that day, everyone on that, there on that day who didn't trust God, they would never see the promised land. They would never experience it. And so it was heartbreaking because the only thing they could do, the best thing they could do, it was to tell their children, God has been faithful to us. God is so trustworthy. And as they wandered back, they first went back to the Red Sea. God marched them back to the Red Sea. All right, this is lesson number one, right? Like, this is who I am for you. And this whole generation had to die before they were ready to enter the promised land, with two exceptions. Joshua and Caleb, their life was spared. And their family's life was spared, that they and their family would actually enter into the promised land. Why? Because they were ready. 
They had learned to trust God. They were ready for the new beginning in their life. And so this actually forces us to like, look at ourselves. What voices are we listening to in our life? Are they the voices of trust or the voices of distrust? What are we focusing on? The size of the giant or the size of God's power? And furthermore, what are the stories of God's goodness that he's deposited in your life? Just like he did with the Hebrew nation, what are the stories that God has written in your life where you can look back and go, God has seen me through. He has seen me through. At this time, I want to invite my friend Pam to come up here. And reality is that we can read all day long about stories of Scripture, but God is also a God that's active and alive in our world. And God is writing stories in our life as well. And so uh, let's welcome Pam, can we? So now we know that monsters are the things in our story that stand in the way of the life that God has planned for us. Monsters. They lurk under the surface, waiting, watching. Sometimes we don't even know that they're there. They are unrelenting. They are big and they are bad. My name is Pam Gonzalez, and I would like to introduce you to my monsters. I'm big on picture stories, so imagine this. I'm living a life that is like a dream, really like a storybook. I climbed the corporate ladder, and I achieved incredible professional success. I was enjoying all the finer things this world has to offer. Good food, great wine, designer clothes. My husband and I were high on the social circuit, living in a big, beautiful house in the right part of town, always driving a shiny new car, lots of sparkly jewels, jet-setting around the world, always first class. Every day, nothing but the best. I had everything, everything that a person needed to be happy, and then some. I had it all. Yes, I had it all, including a toxic relationship. I had a life filled with addiction, including addiction to power, addiction to greed, and abuse. Verbal abuse, mental abuse, and abuse of myself. Yes, I had it all. I heard the voices loud and clear, telling me I was worthless and my energy was nothing but static. I would never leave all of this and I could never make it alone. It just kept going on and on, louder and louder. I was at the highest high and the lowest low, ridiculously rich in worldly goods. Yet, I was spiritually bankrupt. I was completely and totally empty. 
I just knew there had to be more, but I was barely taking my first steps into a Christian life. Still, there was this little tug at my heart. There's more, Pamela. There's more. Yet, my pit got deeper and the dark got blacker. The monsters were winning and they were eating me alive. Then it hit me. I had sold my soul to the devil. Now what? I had to decide. Do I stay in this life? This life of luxury? Unhealthy? Ungodly? Or do I rediscover me and rediscover hope? I decided I had to break free. Just hearing those words, break free, is hard. Perhaps some of you had had your own break free moments. There were days I had to force myself to get out of bed. Just take one more step. I wasn't sure I could go on, but I would remind myself to just keep breathing. One breath at a time. I was alone, and I was scared. I sobbed, and I begged God to please get me out of this place that I called my life. Have you ever been there? That's when things began to change. I swallowed my pride, the pride that shackled me for so long, I accepted and admitted that my marriage had failed. I was embarrassed. I had to humble myself in front of God and my family and my friends. Some of those friends stuck by me and are still with me today. Others were lost. Not really true friends after all. Can you relate? I needed a leap of faith. I had to consciously give up every single ounce of control I had in my life. My life was in God's hands. I had no idea where I was going. I just knew I needed to go. Fear. I had to embrace and own my fear or it would kill me. I learned that you can experience death in many ways. I grieved the loss of my life as I knew it, the loss of my dream, the loss of my marriage. I was sad and I was broken. My monsters were big, real big, but God was bigger. My pit of despair was filled by God's mercy and grace. Every day, I got a little bit stronger. He gave me courage. The more I trusted, the more light I could see through the darkness. God delivered me to the life I believe he intended me to have. Through my God-led journey, I have found my best friend and life partner, 
My husband, Wayne, is my greatest God-given gift. I have found love and joy and peace. My heart has softened and my soul is full. I feel God's love and mercy every single day. I had to fight those monsters, and I had to fight hard. But that opened the way so that God could do his thing in my life. Your monsters may look very different. Maybe they're hiding right now. Just keep your eyes open. And remember, no matter how big your monsters are, our God is bigger And our God delivers. He delivered me, and he will deliver you. When you hear uh, Pam's story, one of the things I hear is the two different voices, the voice in her life saying that she can't make it on her own, uh, questioning her value, her lovability, um, how God might delight her. And then there's the voice of grace that wins. The same two voices were said at Kadesh Barnea. They were said right there. And we have to discover which voice we are going to listen to. Is it the voice of fear, the voice of anxiety, or is it the voice of trust, placing yourself at the hands of God, believing that God is good enough, that God is big enough, And for us, we have to decide which of these voices we're going to listen to. Because we can only take one into the battle. We can only take one into the battle. And victories and new beginnings wait for those people who have learned to trust in God. And how do we know that God's trustworthy? Well, it's because Jesus, he, he personified, he gave us the example, he showed us the way of what does it look like to trust God. Jesus lived a life and he looked at the sin, he looked at the pain, he looked at the monster that that all was. And he ultimately trusted his father and said, I'm actually, I'm actually gonna charge the giant. I'm not gonna hold back, I'm not gonna choose comfort, I'm actually gonna charge the giant. And so he came to this world and showed us what does it look like to truly trust God. And ultimately that trust went away to, to the cross when Jesus laid down his life for us and the, the, the sun went dark again. And into the darkness, the abyss that was before him, Jesus said the words of trust that into your hands, I commit my spirit. Into your hands, I give myself to you. And showing that, and when he did that, just like before the day number one happened, that light broke into the darkness. The word of God was spoken into the darkness. And that will win the day, that will win us over, that the giants of this world in relation to God's power and his love, they will never win the day. And this is how it is for you in your life, that Jesus, his power, his love is a gift to you. And the most beautiful part of this whole story for me is the fact that just Jesus is just like Joshua and Caleb for us that just like Joshua and Caleb were able to enter into the promised land because of their trust in God and their whole family, so it is with us 
that us, as God's people, when we cling on to Jesus, and more importantly, when Jesus clings on to us, we are actually called God's family, that we are God's people. And just like, and just like Joshua and Caleb, the faithfulness that they brought in actually led the way for their family, so it is with us that in Jesus, that he takes us into the promised land with him. Read this along with me in Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's you and me, that we're children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption in sonship and daughtership. And by him, we get to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And being God's children means that we have been delivered. We've been claimed in Jesus. Take that to heart right now. If you're in the threshold of a new beginning, remember that God's trustworthy. Remember that story and charge the monster. <laughs>